0: Welcome to this week's episode of Bleak. This week, we're discussing the cases of Jody Solderholm, 19 year old out of Arkansas, Arkansas, and 22 year old Allie Lamont out of upstate New York. <laughs> Well, hello, Amanda. Hi, Laura. How's it going? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Kids are good. How are your children? They are alive and well. Good.
1: Good. So, we are just, uh, this is episode three today that we're getting into here. Hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast thus far. We are still new at this. Still getting our sea legs wet. Isn't that how they say it? Get your feet wet. Yeah, something like
0: that. Oh, okay. Your feet.
1: Okay. <laughs> I think getting your sea legs and getting your feet wet are like two different sayings. <laughs> getting your sea legs wet? I don't know that. Yeah. What those is... are two different.
0: Oh, is that like if I'm gonna sail a boat, maybe? Getting my sea it's, legs it's wet? It's not literal. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm I'm unfamiliar, I guess, with the phrases, or I'm using them incorrectly. <laughs> it's alright, we're used to it. Just kidding. <laughs> Little true.
1: So this week we're gonna be talking about some real terrible things. Yes. So, I um... can't
0: say there's much light at the end of this tunnel.
1: <laughs> but You know, I think it's still a good thing to draw attention to. It is. It is. These cases, I think both of these, I don't know much about Laura's, and Laura doesn't know much about mine, Which so our reactions are very organic. Authentic. Authentic, Authentic. that's a better word. So I think um, both of these cases have not been widely covered. I mean, you can find information on them, but they're not, it isn't like... um, shenan watts or charles manson yeah or something Char- yeah <laughs> something that's you know has tons of of uh coverage and i kind of feel like that's what i like to cover in general yes, uh, yes. if you have case suggestions um mm. you can find me on facebook and send me a met like a like a PM, but we are going to be making a email address for case suggestions and that should be ready by next week. Yeah. So if you want awesome. to suggest a case, yes. we would love to hear about that. So feel free. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm going to go first this week. This is Amanda, by the way, if you don't know our voices yet. Apparently we have similar voices, <laughs> we too. We do. We do. It's so that so might funny. be hard for people that don't know us personally. Yes. <laughs> they might be <laughs> like, wow, I can't tell who's who. But I think there's a little bit of a distinction, hopefully, that you're there able is. to kind of tell.
0: I have more of the the rough um, s- f- smoker female voice <laughs> and you have more of the... Untouched. Uh, I guess I, I would not have said that or
1: thought that, but...
0: I probably shouldn't have said that, but I did. That's no, fine. We're not perfect. Nobody
1: is. Nobody is. Okay, so I'm just going to jump right into it here. Um, so the the murder I'm covering is of 22-year-old Allie Lamont. Now, her full name is Elizabeth. It's spelled A L L Y Z I B. ETH. So it seems like her parents named her that with the intention of calling her Allie. It's right. a little unusual. Um, yeah, when you look her so up it might so. be under Elizabeth spelled that way or Allie, but she went by Allie for sure. Um, so this case happened in Saratoga County, which is just north of Albany, New York in Gloversville. So this is oh. upstate New York. Population of about 15,000. Oh, small. So yeah, not not huge at all. She, uh, Allie was born and raised in Gloversville. Okay. So just some background on her. She's described as down to earth, and she has a very close, or had, I should say, a very close-knit group of friends. So she wasn't like a social butterfly. She just kind of had her people. and right. You know, she had her, uh, like, maybe two or three female friends, and then she had a boyfriend, but it was a relatively new relationship. And she was very close to her family. Okay. Um, she has three sisters, and then her parents. Um, she's close with her parents. Their names are Sherman, is that her dad, and Krista is her mom. Okay. So at the time of her homicide, she was she was living on her own, but with a roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, and her roommate was a girl named Jenny Young. She was a childhood friend of Allie's, and at the time of that, this happened. Allie did want to get a place of her own. Her friend Jenny had a child. Okay. And so, um, I just think she did not anything against, you know, someone having a child and having a roommate, but I think but she the just. the dynamics of that. Yeah.
0: She's a single young woman and you know, yeah, the children I wake totally, up in the night. Yeah. I
1: understand totally understandable. Yeah. So at that point, you know, it wasn't that she was unhappy with Jenny or anything like that. It was just, she wanted a place of her own. Right. So, in March of 2019, Allie began working at a sub shop called Local Number Nine. Um, So, for the purposes of this podcast, I might refer to it as Number Nine or the Sub Shop, Um, but it was called Local Number Nine and it was, you know, not far from her home. And at the time that this happened, She had worked there for about six months. On October 30th, 2019, the Gloversville Police Department gets a call inquiring about the whereabouts of Allie Lamont. And it was her sister who called. I don't have the name of her sister, but it was one of her three sisters that called. They called to report it? To report that they hadn't, um, you know, she wanted to know, like, if they had gotten, you know she had been arrested or they had gotten another report about her or anything because her sister was unable to get in contact with her. Okay. So they didn't get into a whole lot of why her sister was concerned, but then, so the police take down the report, not thinking much of it. It's a 22-year-old.
0: Right.
1: And then shortly thereafter, they get another call from Jenny Young, her roommate. Oh. And her roommate tells police that she's concerned because Allie never came home the night before. Oh. And um Jenny had seen Allie the evening before at the local number 9. So Allie had asked Jenny to drop off her phone charger. Yeah. So Jenny did that around 6:30. And then Jenny typically so Allie didn't have a car. So Jenny would give her rides to and from work at times, but not all right. the time. Right. So Jenny um, had texted Allie in the you know f- at work asking her if she needs a ride home, and Allie didn't respond. Oh. And she texts, so she waits a little bit, and then she tries texting her again, oh. and eventually, che- you know, she texts her a total of three times and gets no response. So her assumption is. I'm guessing she doesn't need a ride. Right. And so she just, she thought it was a little strange, but she, you know, she's gotten rides home from different people in the past and she had a boyfriend and stuff. So she just let it go. So the next morning, um, because Allie never came home, Jenny was a little more concerned by that next morning. Right. So she goes to the local number nine and asks the manager if he had seen Allie because she had last been at work, as far as she knew. And then the the manager basically just says, you know, she's not scheduled to work today, and um, that was about it. He didn't have any other information. No. Um, so the de- they, the detective at this point is like, okay, now I have two people are, that are concerned. And so they are like, we should you know, look into this further. So the detective found out she had a boyfriend named William Dennings.
0: So, okay. So they find out that she has this boyfriend, um, from like Jenny. From, oh, from Jenny. So they're like interviewed Jenny a little bit or talked to her Yep, something. they okay. talk to Jenny and then
1: okay. they get this tip on that she's got a boyfriend. And they're like, well, that's a logical place to start. Right. So after he talked, yes, after they get done talking to Jenny, they're like, well, let's go to William's house. So her boyfriend's a guy named William Dennings. And initially... When they get there, so no one comes to the door, but eventually after they wait a little bit, uh, a young man comes to the door, but he informs the detectives that he is actually William's brother, so they must live together. Oh, sure. And he said that William wasn't there and he's not there because he was out looking for Allie. So he can't find her either. Oh, okay. So okay. now they're like, okay, the boyfriend can't find her. The friend, you know, her friends and can't find her and her family can't find her. Right. So at this point, they're like, this is more serious. Something's not right Um, And the detective, you know, they gave him a lot of credit because he did take it seriously from the get-go, which doesn't always happen.
0: Right. No, it definitely um, doesn't. So
1: they issued a bolo, which is a be on the lookout for the state of New York. Mm-hmm. And, um this is, so this is detective Simonson and he was actually like a rookie detective. And so he is gathering all this information and he, um, takes his report to his sergeant and then the sergeant agrees that, you know, this really needs to be looked into much more seriously. So then they start assigning, um, some more detectives to her case. Um, And they mentioned, you know, they get hundreds of missing person complaints every year, you know, just in general in this country. But they're mostly juveniles. And it is more unusual for an adult to go missing. Right. And, of course, the chances of a missing person or missing adult being found alive specifically, um, with the passage of time, that does decrease very drastically. Whereas with a juvenile, that's not necessarily the case because they're more likely to run away and come back and come back exactly so there was a little just a little bit more of urgency to this than there would be with a juvenile right so the police at this point they decide to re-interview jenny because they're at that point she was the last person that they could they knew of that had seen her right and at she they asked Jenny. They're like, "Was what was her demeanor like when you dropped off the charger?" And Jenny's like, "She seemed completely fine. She's like, a she was happy. She you know Halloween was coming up, so they were talking about like the, their Halloween plans. She was laughing, joking around, and um, totally in good spirits. Like nothing unusual at all. So then, um, the department receives a phone call." saying that Allie had an ex-boyfriend named Tyler oh. and that there was a domestic incident in the past with Tyler. Oh. So, of course, that's a red flag. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so they're like, well, let's try to find this this Tyler guy. So they do first go to Tyler's house, and he's not there. But then after uh, the detectives are on their way back from... Uh, Tyler's house to check to see if he's there. They hear back from Allie's current boyfriend, William. Right. So it's starting to get a little confusing. So you've got the ex-boyfriend, Tyler, and then you have the current boyfriend, William. Right. So they're talking to William. I believe this was just a phone interview. And William tells them that they've been officially going out for one month. So this is a new relationship. Pretty new. And he said, but everything's going well. They hadn't had like a recent argument. Uh, William willingly shows the police his phone and all of his text messages that, you know, from Allie that he had corresponded with her. The last time he had talked to Allie was October 28th, 2019. And, um, all of his text messages are corroborating his statements. And, um, pretty much the text messages between the two were mostly small talk from the night, the last time she had been at work, uh, that had, you know, the last time she had been definitively seen, he had been talking to her via text and it was nothing significant. Right. So they asked William what he did on the 28th of October. Cause at this point, October 28th is their last known sighting of her. Right. And he says he met up with some friends and they drank
0: beers at a local cemetery. Oh, so that's something that, um, that's a hmm. little different. is a little eye, eyebrow. Like, I love cemeteries. That's something to know about me. Absolutely love them. I don't drink alcohol, but if I were to, I could would do that in a cemetery. Yeah,
1: and you're talking about, I don't know William's age, but he's not, I mean, if she's 22, I'm going to go ahead and guess he's not like a 50-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you right. never know. You never but, know, but it isn't likely. He's probably in his early 20s, Right. I imagine. And
1: I... That was the vibe I got from. The but when research. you tell
0: police, like, "Hey, I was drinking in a local cemetery," that's my alibi, right? <laughs> like, that and does he, you, but, but, oh. Okay. so it is
1: an odd thing to do. But he was very forthcoming about it. Okay, he wasn't like he was like, was well, you know, he yeah. tried to lie and say he was doing something else.
0: I mean, that would be a strange thing to come up with suddenly. Right. Like, why would you say <laughs> why that? would you say that? If you were going to lie about where right. you were. <laughs>
1: so his friends that he was with also backed him up oh, on that's that. that's good. And then he spent the night at a male friend's house. Oh, not
0: at the cemetery. Okay. Yes.
1: They just went there, for like, for a period of time. Okay. And then he went back to his friend's house. And he seemed genuine from what the police could tell, you know? So at this point, no one's ruled out, but the boyfriend is not looking terribly suspicious. Right. So the detectives are kind of like, what do we do next here? So they decide to go to the local nine sub shop and they want to speak with Allie's manager because they're like, well, we know people that saw her at work. Let's get a kind of a rundown of the last time she worked. Right. So when detectives get to the number nine sub shop, they see a sign on the door that said the shop was undergoing renovations, but still open for business. Okay. And the detective didn't really know what to make of it. They weren't, you know, they, they thought it was maybe a little strange, but they had no reason to, you know, really question it too much. But they did think it was a little odd that they were... Like the timing maybe was
0: odd? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like the fact, so this girl's gone missing. She's last seen at this sub shop. And now the sub shop's under renovation. Now we're going to renovate it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Because they're aware probably that she's missing and, you know, they're not. Yeah.
1: So after they see that sign, the detectives um, see two individuals go to a dumpster. No. Right by the shop. Well, not a... Which is kind of out back. And yeah. so they approach the two individuals and they learn that, um, they're both local nine employees. Sure. One of them is the girlfriend of the manager okay. and the manager's name is James Duffy. Okay. And the girlfriend says, um, they, you know, they start asking, and the reason I'm calling her the girlfriend is because it does, I never was able to get her name. Okay, so, so she's the girlfriend of, of James Duffy, the manager. The manager. Okay, the, so the girlfriend yeah. says she wasn't at the local nine on the twenty eighth when Allie last worked, but she knew her boyfriend James had worked that day with Allie.
0: Okay. So
1: at, at this point, and and she gives detectives James's phone number, so they can talk to him. So at this time, um. And she asks, or the detective asks the girlfriend if James Duffy is available, and she informs them that he was going to be coming in at ten o'clock that day. So this had to must have been eight nine o'clock in the morning,
0: right? So pretty and, early.
1: And so they're like, okay, so we know that we're we should be able to talk to this guy, you know, by ten o'clock in the morning, right? So after. That they, um, they also find out that the shop is owned by a man named Georgios Kakavelos. Okay. He goes by George. I probably will refer to him as Kakavelos for the purposes (laughs) of this. Um, so detectives, they do try calling both men at this point. They want to talk to the owner and the manager.
0: Makes sense.
1: Yeah. And, um, both men do not answer. And... Some time goes by and they start to get the impression like that their calls are being avoided maybe. Right. Because to me, you know, a missing person, there's some urgency there. Right. You you know. The police are calling. You and you want to like call and them And they've back. left messages and now you've got a couple people not responding. It could mean something. It may not. Right. But at that point, they're a little bit kind of annoyed by it at the very least. Um, they also had, you know, shown up to both of their houses initially and they weren't there. So at this point they asked the New York state police to get involved because the clock is ticking. It's our Now it's, it's a small town and they don't Uh, have probably those resources. No, they, they definitely needed more, more help. So the local police kind of relay what's going on to the state police and her, her friends and family are desperately searching for her at this point. So we're talking, so she'd been seen on the 29th and this is, um, going into the, the later hours of the 30th. Okay. And, um, so the, I mean, this happened quickly. They really got things going fast. You know, they mm-hmm. talk about the first 48. Right. They, you know, so when they're going into the next day, they're starting to get more concerned and getting more resources on
0: board. Right. This and is really fast. Like usually it's.
1: Yeah. I think there was just a, a really, you know, they, they really, really knew something. Commended their lot. initial, uh, rookie detective for getting this going really fast. Mm-hmm. So they do end up getting a call back from Allie's ex-boyfriend, Tyler at this point, And he does agree to go in for questioning. Right. So Tyler does have a criminal history. He's described as a bad boy. I don't know what his criminal history is exactly, but the police had some familiarity with him and um, they wanted to know about their domestic abuse incident because there was a like a police report had been filed and this was about three months prior. okay. So Tyler admits that yes, there had been a domestic incident. And Allie had sustained some minor injuries in that incident. But he does explain, so they had been together for four years at this point. For some reason, Allie thought Tyler was cheating on her. And she showed up to his house, and Tyler says she was very combative. And he said that combative to the point that he had to physically restrain her. And he said, so it wasn't that I, you know, beat her up or hit her. It was literally like she was...
0: um, In his words, he was defending himself.
1: Right. And that was actually backed up somewhat by the police report. And he said at that point that was the last straw for their relationship. Right.
0: He,
1: He just, like, he said he blocked her on social media, blocked her cell phone number. So... At that point, they're like, well, at least that kind of makes a little more sense. He's, right. They're still kind of suspicious of him, just given his background, but right. they don't have anything to hold him on, so at that point, he's free to go. Okay. And then, of course, detectives do learn that Allie had disappeared in the past, but oh. more as a teenager, like running away type thing. Sure. And it was always resolved very quickly. Okay. And it was never more than like a day. So we're going now on two days, and she hadn't
0: done it since she was a, had been like an adult, right? So, right, because what's the point in running away as an adult? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. People don't. Yeah.
1: And then her her boyfriend, her current boyfriend William, then does show up at the police station, and he tells police, you know, he kind of was just like, I something I didn't really mention before was she seemed a little depressed, and she was get she wanted to get treatment for it. But she had no health insurance through her employer. Okay. So at that point, hearing that, they're concerned about suicide. Right. So, um. But at that point, they hadn't found anything. She's just a missing persons. So later on, later in the day on the thirtieth, police go back to the sub shop because they're like, well, the manager should be there by now. And when they get there, the manager and the owner are both there. Oh. And they start kind of trying to gather some information on this owner, and they find out that uh, George Kakavelos had owned diners in the past. Okay. And he opened the local number nine at the end of twenty eighteen. Sure. Described as an absent owner who wasn't there a lot. Now, that's not super unusual. No. Owners are not necessarily at shops very often. Right. So that's not a, a huge thing, in my not opinion. A red flag. No. Really? Yeah. Um, so James Duffy was acting as the manager, like, of day-to-day operations. Right. So the police are just trying to verify at that point, when did you guys last see Allie? Because they knew that... When she last worked, both of them were there. Right. So the detectives at this point notice that James Duffy is acting abnormally. He's described as an odd character, out of sorts, frantic, very intoxicated.
0: Oh, at work? At at work. At work, super intoxicated. And
1: the owner's there, and he's openly behaving this way. (laughs) Now, if you huh. look up this guy, his name is James Duffy. He is not somebody you'd think that would be managing anything, to be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> sure. It, it was, like, very kind of a, an odd guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so because Duffy is is ine- inebriated, essentially, <laughs> investigators are like, well, we'll just talk to Kakavelos. Right. And That's then we'll have to get
0: back to him. We're not going to get much information from the uh, in- knee intoxicated... <laughs> manager.
1: Manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kakevelos explains he last saw Allie at the local number nine on October 28th, which is kind of lining up with what everyone else is saying. Right. And then Kakavalos says Allie left early, and then he sure. says he gave her a $500 loan oh. for a security deposit on an apartment, and Kakavalos had a handwritten note that said he was, she was going to be paying... Him back like a repayment agreement in fifty dollar increments per paycheck.
0: Okay. I thought that was odd. <laughs> well, it is odd. I mean, is that how they do it? Maybe there. Maybe that's maybe he does that from time to time. Gives them little loans. Little loans. <laughs> I mean, I, I, not the
1: weirdest thing in the world, but
0: I don't know. It's what... weird that it happened to happen on that day, and now yes. he's got this handwritten letter. Well, the, it was Notes like his note, it
1: was almost like a note to himself, reminding himself, like, I gave her $500, she agreed to pay me $50 every payday, or oh, something, sure. or whatever, that's right. what it was. Okay. It wasn't necessarily, like, an agreement...
0: Per se. Per se, but... Okay. She needed 500 and he was gonna... He gave it he to He gave her. it to her. Well, I mean, that was nice of him. So, investigators
1: ask if they can search the restaurant... And he's completely agreeable to that. So they go in to the local number nine. Yeah. And it's they kind of are like taken aback because it's kind of a mess in there. Like there's just crap everywhere. (laughs) And Kakavelos explained that their soda machine had a leak in like one of the lines. And the syrup caught everywhere. Oh, ooh.
0: Like the soda syrup and the soda fountain. So I could see that would be disgusting.
1: Yes. So employees are, like, cleaning the floors and the kitchen. But other than the disarray from the soda leak, there's really, they don't really find anything there. Sure. So Duffy and Kakavailos, now being the last people that likely saw her, are asked if they're willing to go to the station for more questioning, like more official interview type stuff. And um... James Duffy, at this point, he's he's still very emotionally labile. He t- he tells police he's, up and down he's an and alcoholic then. and a drug addict. Oh, he's like he just, just lays it out there.
0: And he's like, but don't tell my boss. And he kind of <laughs> chuckles. <laughs> with, he's- don't tell my boss. He's been around him completely <laughs> <Yeah>. hammered. <laughs> exactly. It's just very strange guy. Yes.
1: And then so he then he like just abruptly stands up and he's like, "Listen, I want you to find my friend." Oh, <laughs> they're just like, "Okay," <laughs> you know. So he's missing Allie too, apparently. Um, so yeah. simultaneously, they have other detectives interviewing Kakavelos. Right. And so Kakavelos kind of takes police through his last, last shift with Allie on the 28th. He explains that the soda machine line was accidentally cut, creating that huge mess. He says Allie was helping uh, clean up that syrup situation, is what he referred to it as. And he said she was, he made her stay late to help clean it up. And he said, you know, she wasn't super thrilled about it but right in her age probably wanted to go do something else <laughs> yes um but he did say that ally left around uh 7:20 p.m. after okay. that he gave her the $500 loan oh and um he wasn't he, you know it was odd that he said 7:20 he goes like he said it was his best guess and it's like, don't you have records of like people punching in and out? Right. So or maybe
0: they don't do that there. Maybe it's a small could be operation, and you just kind of write it down. <laughs> I guess. Um,
1: so Kokavelos well, reports that he's he was worried about Allie going down the wrong path. He hmm. said he described her as a troubled girl. Oh. He says I tried to help her. I tried to be a father to her. And that he felt bad for her, but he treated her like a daughter. Oh, Now, other than Cacavalo saying this, that's not really the vibe they're getting from other people. You know, there's the boyfriend saying, you know, she had been depressed a little bit. But not, like, going down the wrong path or hanging out with bad people. Right. So they were, you know... That was just his perspective, you know, maybe working with her day in and day out, he got another side to her, but he
0: right. was very adamant that Allie was suicidal. Hmm. So. Well, it's strange that the one boyfriend had also said she was, could be suicidal.
1: Yes. And that's true. So now you've got another person kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. But he, he was more adamant, I guess. Right. About it, that she was suicidal. Oh. So then they ask Kakavalos if he thinks James Duffy, the manager, was involved in her disappearance. And Kakavalos says, and I quote, he says, I really don't think so. He doesn't have the balls. Oh. Okay. So <laughs> investigators ask to see James Duffy and Kakavalos' phone communications. Right. But. Kakavalos, you know, he's kind of scrolling through his phone and showing investigators little tidbits on his phone. Right. But he won't let them actually, like, take it it and review those conversations. And when the police asked him why, he said that he had a lot of private and personal information on his phone, and he made a comment about that him and, uh, so Kakavalos and Duffy were... What was the word he used? Something about objectifying women or, or saying some bad things about, about women. women. Oh, okay. And so they, so he, he was slimy, maybe, embarrassed slimy about comment. it or oh. whatever.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: So <laughs> the police are kind of, and, and he was very adamant and kind of sticking up for James Duffy. The, oh. You know, like, I really, really don't think he has anything to do with this.
0: Huh.
1: So the next morning, Halloween... The police decide they're going to conduct additional interviews and at this point they want to interview James Duffy but not intoxicated. Right. So they show up at his home early in the morning to try to kind of get him before he starts drinking <laughs> Drinkin doing and drugging. drugs. Yeah. Okay.
0: So jeez, got to got to get him really early apparently. Yeah.
1: So at this point they bring him down to the station. He's agreeable again to come down. And he's much easier to talk to at this point. He seems, you know, he's not all up and down and irrational and acting strange. He's just more, you know, he's just easier to talk to. Right. So he denies knowing where she is initially. He says, you know, I really want you to find her. And after hours and hours of interviewing him, he finally just seems on the verge, like the, the police are just getting the impression that they he, know he knows he knows something. something. Yeah. And because of he so the impression I get of James Duffy is that when he is sober, he's probably a decent person. Right. But when he's intoxicated And, you know, because he drinks and does drugs and all these other things at the same time, he's kind of one of those people that you can get to do whatever you want. Anything, yeah. And he's one of those people that when he's under the influence, he's just way more unpredictable. Right. But he has a conscience when he's not under the influence type of a thing. So because he's sober in this interview... um. He finally says, "Okay, if I tell you what I know, I want a signed agreement from the DA that I won't be prosecuted." Oh, pretty smart. And I would. And he's yeah. like, "I want witness protection, the whole deal." Witness protection. <laughs> and Jeez. the police are like,
0: "Yeah, witness <laughs> protection."
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> so clearly he knows something. Right. <laughs> right. So police say, you know, it kind of depends on what occurred. Right, You know, if it was like she overdosed and then, uh, it was an accident, you know, that might be a possibility, but if you like murdered her and chopped her into pieces, that's a whole other deal. Right. So all of a sudden James Duffy kind of looks down and the detective that was being interviewed in one of the documentaries I watched said he just had this evil chuckle just (laughs) kind of and uh, you know at this point he's in the interview room he has a garbage can next to him like he's going to puke he's lighting a cigarette and then quote he says you don't even know and then he repeats it again he said you don't even know (laughs) and they're like okay he's on the verge here and then he's like finally he just was like I'll give you everything and they're like all right, let's go. You know, let's tell us it. what happened. Let's get her done. So, yeah. Duffy just starts confessing at this point, <laughs>
0: even though he hasn't been
1: given witness protection or <laughs> no. anything, and okay. he's been read his rights and everything. Right. Um, so he tells police that Cacavelos had come up with a plan to kill Allie because Allie was going to report him for fraud. What? Now. We'll get into this whole at the end. I will explain that further, but Kakavelos knew that Allie. So Kakavelos hadn't been running his store very ethically. Okay. And Allie had found out some information, and he was afraid she was going to turn him in. To well, like. Why
0: was she? Why is he afraid of this?
1: So. What had happened, I guess I can explain it now, was the New York Department of Labor investigator came into the store a couple weeks before this happened. And they had been investigating Mr. Kakavilos because he, because he had all these previous businesses and he owed like seven hundred thousand dollars in back taxes to the mm. irs yeah that's never and good. he had been engaging in shady business practices one of them being that he was under reporting hours oh, okay so employees and we're not getting paid properly right so Allie would work you know 42 hours and might only get paid for 38 hours right and it's not good. He was trying to do it in a way I think initially where like people wouldn't
0: notice. They were noticing. But yeah. of
1: course, when you're working at a sub shop, probably not making a lot of money, you're right. going
0: to notice a few missing hours from right. your paycheck. I would. I'd be like, "Hey, where's my money?" Right. <laughs> Once "I work hard. Where's my money?" Yes. So
1: they're like she so she talks to the investigator and she's like it doesn't tell them really anything at that point, but right. she's, so Allie's pretty good friends with James Duffy. She, you know, she's close to him as a friend. Right, right. And, she, and even co-worker. though he's her manager, he's her co-worker.
0: And, and he's a drug addict. Yes. Alcoholic. Yes. But, but maybe they don't do that together. Maybe he, they just kind of cross paths at work type right. of thing. But they're close.
1: Right. Go so... He, she makes the mistake, and I don't mean this in a way that I'm blaming her for what happened, because I'm obviously not, but of telling James, she's like, if things don't change around here, like, I'm going to tell these people from the Department of Labor everything. Because she's sick of not getting paid properly. Right, of course.
0: And she thinks she can talk to James. He's not going to, you know, rat her out. So,
1: of course, James tells Kakavelos everything about what she told him. Because he's
0: completely, you know, hammered or whatever.
1: So James tells them that Kakavelos gave him $500 to do a whole bunch of drugs to get him completely inebriated. To get who inebriated? James, so, to, so this is from the point of view of James Duffy. Okay. he's tell, James Duffy is telling the police, Kakavelos gave me $500 to Kay. do a whole bunch of drugs. Okay. So that I would be in, like, a very inebriated state. Okay. And he... Because he wanted James to kill Allie. Okay. And he knew that James would never do this unless he was totally inebriated. inebriated. So he, you know, James describes, you know, that he was building up the courage to do it. And as he got more and more hammered that, you know, it became easier and easier to consider it. Right. So he says, finally, once he worked up the courage, he says Allie was doing the dishes and like kind of in the corner of the shop. Caccavelos had made sure all the other workers had left the deli. Ooh. She tells Allie she needs to stay late to clean up the syrup mess, which they find out they had actually cut the syrup line. Oh, to make it To make seem an like... excuse for her to stay, and when they're cleaning up blood evidence, right. and you have all this syrup and stuff everywhere, right? it makes it easier to
0: cover it up. Right. Well, pretty slick on their part,
1: because... Yeah. It actually was fairly effective because when they searched the sub shop initially, they didn't There's find like anything. syrup all over
0: and right. you don't
1: know what's what. And yeah. that's why I think the police were a little suspicious of it, but then they're like, well, you know. These things happen. Things happen, yeah. right. You know, it could be a coincidence. Right. So, Allie's doing the dishes and James Duffy sneaks up on her from behind and starts beating her with a baseball bat. Oh my gosh. I know this reminds me of uh, that story what Nicole the... helping yes. with the baseball bat. Yes. Oh. It's like how
0: horrible is what that? What a terrible way to go. I mean I just just how could you do that to somebody? I just
1: oh he just so he describes smacking her in the head with the bat <sighs> and they're like getting frustrated cuz she's not go she's not dying. So Cacavelo starts helping and he starts choking her. And he puts a bag over her head, and Jeez. they're both screaming. Oh, she's not dying. She's not going down. Allie's screaming, kicking. Um, of course. So then, well, yeah, I mean, it, it just sounds horrific, awful. So then, Cacavelos tells James Duffy,
0: he's like, "Go get the sledgehammer." Oh, my gosh. Why? So they both take... They couldn't just bring a... I mean, it's a terrible thing to kill somebody, but... Do you have to do it this way? Do you have to do it like that? I know. Well,
1: I, I suppose with gun evidence, they were worried about, like, tracking the gun to hit them. I suppose. Which is not an excuse. Pizza's here.
0: Oh, the well, sledgehammer just came we're, out.
1: we're back from the pizza break here, mm. so I don't know exactly where I left off, but um, they were... So they're taking turns hitting Allie with the sledgehammer at this point. They continue to choke her, bash her in the head, and she does eventually die. Yes. So, of course, at this point, awful. they are left with this scene that need to be cleaned up. So they already had the soda lines you know cut so that they could um cover up the blood and whatnot and this also is kind of they're just you know they knew that there would be a cleanup taking place far beyond that just that one day so it was kind of justifies why right they needed to do that so it's like it was a genius plan but at the same time it it raises suspicion Right. so it kind of if you think about it like it, it was a, a not that you want someone to get murdered but it was a good idea on their part for not getting caught but yet it it was almost like a oxymoron right. You know, it right
0: raises suspicions right like huh why is this all over the floor yes but then at the same time this is something that does happen in a restaurant so and yeah. um
1: Kakavalos had completely made up the story about giving her the $500. Well, to to try to make it seem like she took some cash and fled. Right. And then that was why he was so adamant about her being suicidal. Right. Is because he wanted them to think she committed suicide somewhere and they just couldn't find her. Right. But what would you need $500
0: to commit suicide for?
1: Who knows? Like she got a bunch of drugs or something? Oh. I don't know. So, another piece of the puzzle is uh, the mess they had to clean up was more than Kakavelos and Duffy <laughs> anticipated. So, Kakavalos made a Walmart run that night oh, to gosh. get more supplies. So, they have him on surveillance at Walmart buying
0: cleaning Always supply. at Walmart. I know. Oh, Did you well, ever notice always at Walmart? Well,
1: I think Walmart happens to be one of the few places open 24 hours anymore. I well, mean, I, gro- I guess
0: grocery stores are, though. Like yeah. Pub. Sometimes it's a grocery store, but usually it's Walmart.
1: Yeah, they've got decent prices. And no, we're And not nobody questions this.
0: No, we're well, no, we not <laughs> sponsored by Walmart, but Or anybody. It, or anybody. For so, there we go. <laughs> but the thing is, do, don't the employees of any late night establishment any late night establishment question like when people are coming at 3 am for certain items yeah like in shovel. A, and a suitcase <laughs> <laughs> I need a suitcase and a shovel and <laughs> garbage bags and I, mean,
1: I have to have it right now
0: right now 3 a.m Well you could just use the check the self checkout. Nowadays you could so that's, that's probably gonna what I would change do. things. That's probably what I would do.
1: Although, I don't know if they have those open at night. I don't think they I do. I don't know
0: that they do at that hour, but I'm not really sure. I don't... Anyhow, so
1: they ended up putting Allie's body in the back of Kakavelos's Volkswagen vehicle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they drove around and found a secluded area. They poured concrete over her body. Jeez. And they actually stopped at a few different places and they disposed of groups of evidence at different places. Wow. And um, so, of course, they had to take, they ended up taking James Duffy. They arrested him, of course. Oh, yeah. And they took him handcuffed and had him show the investigators where he left or where they put the evidence. Right. And they ended up finding the baseball bat floating in a pond oh. because they didn't take into consideration that bats float. What? And then there were plastic what? bags in the woods that contained um, the cleaning supplies that they used. So they had, that was in a separate area. And then lastly, they uh, Duffy took investigators to where her body was and... Uh, I guess the concrete actually made it... You know, they had said it, it likely would not have been found if it wasn't for Duffy admitting admitting to the it. Guilt. Wow. They could have gotten away with it. They could have. And that's the thing is... Um, and James Duffy said that while he was digging Allie's grave, that Cacavelos had a bunch of cash and was, like, throwing it at him. Like, and laughing...
0: I mean, he's just a complete psychopath. How did he have all this cash? He owed a bunch of people money. Well. No.
1: Doesn't mean that he didn't hoard cash. <laughs>
0: That's true.
1: Um, so a lot of the detectives that worked on this case said, you know, it was, of all the cases they've been involved in, it was probably the most heinous that they'd ever well, encountered. Just
0: poor girl, poor family, poor everybody.
1: Um... So, at this point, the police do not, or Kakavelos is unaware that Duffy has confessed. Oh. So, they bring Kakavelos, or they start questioning him, and he's immediately kind of suspicious that something's going on because they um, read him his rights, which they hadn't done the first time, and he basically says after they start kind of telling him oh, what no. they know he demands an attorney and refuses to talk. So true. both of, both men were arrested on October 31st, 2019. James Duffy is 34 years old at this time and Georgios Kakavelos is a 51-year-old. Oh, wow. um, so no bail for either either of oh, them. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, James Duffy did end up testifying against Kakavelos okay um, in exchange for some leniency, and um, they kind of described it as kind of a contract killing. Basically, Kakavailos didn't want to do it himself, and he knew that Duffy
0: could be manipulated into doing it. Right. It was essentially a contract killing.
1: And uh, the trial for this murder began on May twelfth, 2020. It was described as complicated and long, just trying to get into all the... The nitty-gritty of it. And um, I know I kind of already got into Kakavelos' poor business practices and that he owed the IRS $700,000, but that all came up in the trial, obviously.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, when that investigator came to the sub shop from the New York Department of Labor, they were wanting to see payroll records. Right. So they already had some kind of idea that there was something so going someone on. else
0: might have even spilled the beans before.
1: Yeah. She did. And before Al- she was going. Ellie hadn't I don't think had said anything at that point to the investigator. But um, she planned on reporting it all if things didn't change around there. And right. one of the so I found this kind of memorable is one of the detectives said, "You know, she just wanted to be paid appropriately. Right. Like, it's not like she at, was asking for a raise or, well, right. you know, More something or, like... or something extravagant. She just wanted to be paid for the hours that she worked,
0: the right amount. Yeah, right for the it's hours like, she worked. It wasn't,
1: yeah. I mean, and uh, one thing I kind of thought of after the fact about this mm-hmm. is." that investigator who came in you know obviously no one's responsible but the perpetrators themselves right but to me you know they these people investigating people for fraud and things like that when you're cornering employees for information right or and i know i don't know how they approached Uh, So I don't know that they cornered her, but Mm -hmm. there needs to be, you know, maybe call employees, you know, get their information and call them separately instead of, you know, because if you're approaching employees doing an investigation, there's other people are going to see it. Right. And that is, an you know, if somebody is really hiding some secrets or some really damning information. Right you know, there's a little bit of culpability from them just showing up to do that and right. doing it so that in a, in a way that everybody else is seeing this. Exactly. Or if they can see, you know, other people see Allie's talking to the investigator. Right. Exactly. Or, you know, and yes, she did tell James Duffy thinking she could trust him. Right. But I still don't think that when they're conducting these investigations that they need to be they need to realize it's a very sensitive situation that could get someone right. killed. Right, and,
0: and, and that's and what did happened. In this
1: case, so that was never brought up at all in anything I saw or watched. But I think that's definitely
0: a valid point. Yes. Yeah.
1: So to this very day, Cockavelos denies any involvement. He says Duffy did everything, and that the only part he
0: had in it was driving Duffy to dispose of her body. But what would have been Duffy's motive? Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. And you know,
1: he you know he says he was under duress, but you know they they played the Walmart tape of him getting the items to clean up, and he buys a magazine and an almond joy. Right. And he's like, if you're under duress, you're not worried about like getting a snack and a magazine. Right.
0: You're. You're. I mean. Right. So he wasn't under duress. He went along with it and
1: which um, is sad
0: because you know it sounds like he did actually consider her a friend well james duffy no normally i
1: i hate when killers part- in particular make statements in court but james duffy did make a statement but it was very brief and what he said was nothing i can say is going to bring her back there's no excuse for what I did, and that was basically he just was like nothing I say is going to right. make up for it, and that there's there's just no excuse for my behavior. Right, and I if you're gonna say anything, that that is p- probably the best thing you can say. You can say because right. he's taking responsibility. Right. So in exchange, he so uh, James Duffy ends up getting eighteen to life. So. Okay. Depending
0: on his behavior.
1: And I believe, obviously, there's a possibility of parole. Right. Um, Whereas, Kakavelos, I believe, just got life in prison without the possibility of parole. Which makes sense. So, yeah, and I think that that's um, appropriate. You know, both both of these men are really terrible, but on the overall scale of shittiness... Right. I think Kakavelos, Kakavelos is, is more. Um, he is put is everything more shitty. into motion.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's more. He put everything into motion. It would have not ever happened had it been. And he, you know, he knew he, he could him. manipulate
1: James Duffy. Right, so. and he did. And uh, yeah, so that's the story of the murder of Ali Lamont. Very sad. And. Just horrible. Not something you hear about every day where an employee is killed because of their boss's fraudulent
0: activities. No, no, definitely not. All right, so now it's Laura's turn. Yes, I'm going to dive right in. My case, I believe, will be much, much shorter, but equally as sad. So... My case uh, took place in uh, January of 2007. January 5th was kind of the um, initial uh, day of this case. Okay, so this is in regards to Jodi Satterholm or Soderholm. Satterholm? Probably Soderholm. It's Soderholm, but I wrote Satterholm. I don't know why, but I think it's Soderholm. Anyways, she's described brown hair, brown eyed, beautiful girl, college dancer, living at home. Um, uh, And because she's a college dancer, um, sometimes that does bring wanted attention and unwanted attention. Um, She's got a best friend, Lori. She's got um, a boyfriend, Owen. Owen has head over heels for her. She's going to marry him someday. They're really, um, uh, you know, very serious. So anyways, um, so everything's going really well. And then they just start noticing kind of, you know, strange, Suspicious kind of things happen one night. She and her friend are walking out of dance practice. Um, and there are, and, and uh, Jody gets in her car. Um, and then Lori, the best friend, sees this car behind her. And she's thinking, well, that's really strange, but whatever. After a while, she realizes it's following her. She tries to lose them. Um, she can't, she's, you know, they're zipping down dirt roads and every kind of road. And, and finally she's like, I can't lose this guy. And so she drives to the police station, sits in the parking lot, debates filing a report. She's like, if I file a report, um, you know, he had, he had driven away at that point because she was at the police station. She's debating filing a report because if I file a report, what am I going to say You know, this truck followed me. I have no description of anything. You know what I mean? Like, so she debated filing a report, but after the car disappeared, she, she, she waited a bit and then she sped home. Um, and they're just noticing like when they're in the parking lots at the, the, at the practice and at school, they're, you know, just feeling like they're being watched, um they can they see this truck kind of in the distance all the time and it's just creepy they're feeling really kind of creepy um so anyways uh so Jody's feeling edgy so January 5th comes around um this is 2007 this is 2007 yes so she's home, She's it's the night before a big game, so January 4th, let's go to January 4th. It's the night before a big game, she's nervous, she sees her mom, mom's like, um, you know, do you want to have lunch tomorrow? She says, no, I've got this big game the next day uh, that I choreographed and I, I'm not going to have time for that, but the mom convinces her, okay, we'll just come by for a cup of coffee and she's like, okay, we'll do some coffee, quick coffee, I can probably handle that. So the next day comes around, January 5th, um, while at practice, um, her, okay. So they're getting out of practice, um, on January 5th and Lori, um, is walking up to her car and, and Jody's like, I'm going to go take a shower. And Lori's like, okay, half a you know, go take your shower. Um, and Lori, Lori's walking up to her car and she realizes she has a flat tire. Oh my gosh, that really stinks. So she's in, you know, she's trying to call and figure out what to do. A man um, comes up named Jake and says, hey, do you need some help? And of course, because they're being followed, you know, kind of watched or whatever, she's feeling kind of creepy about it. She's like, oh, why is this guy suddenly here?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, to, to help. And, um, so she's like, okay, well, that's what Buffalo Bill did. That's what Buffalo Bill oh, did. Oh No, He's no, that's like, what no. Tom, uh, not Tom Brady, uh, Tom. <laughs> Tom Brady did not do anything <laughs> like that. No, the, <laughs> strike that from the record. Um, strike it from the record. Yes. That's <laughs> <But>, uh, <10-15. laughs> Ted, Ted Bundy. There we got it. Yes. Yes. That's the kind of thing Ted did. Yes. Ted Bundy. Yes. Tom Brady. Yes. But in the, the, Tom Brady did not do things like that, to my knowledge. <laughs> to my knowledge. Um, so... So, that, wait, yeah, so she's Buffalo the, Bill would pretend to be handicapped, right? But, or d- that he needed some help with, like, a that we saw in the Silence of the Lambs movie, <laughs> which isn't real, which isn't real, but it's the kind of thing he did. Like, he would be like, Oh, help me, and then he would put them into the back of a van. Or, <laughs> but Ted
1: was... Bundy's ammo was more to his ammo, <laughs> you
0: know. What? M-O, like... His M-O, yeah. okay. <laughs> he said his ammo, okay. I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. Uh, okay, no, that's okay. So Ted Bundy, yeah, this was more Ted Bundy-ish. I mean, it would have been, but Jake... Is not Ted Bundy? Is not Ted Bundy, and he turns out to be a good guy. He's like, I've got a daughter. I'd want someone to help my daughter. Okay. um But he did let her know that it looks like the tire's been slashed intentionally. Like, this isn't just a yeah. flat tire. Like, something's right. And then she started feeling really weird. Like, someone's been following me. And now I. My tire's been slashed. Um, and then she sees, finally sees the car that's been following her um, in the edge of the parking lot. And it's this guy named Justin Thurber. And she knows that it's, uh, like, this guy that hung, has hung out with her brother before. They're not good friends, but he's hung out with the brother. She knows who he is. Like, okay. you know. And she's feeling really weird about it. Anyways. So, oh. as this is happening... Oh, what? Sorry. FYI,
1: her name is Jody Sanderholm.
0: Sanderholm. It yeah. wasn't Soderholm. Sanderholm. Oh my gosh, I wrote this right wrong. Sanderholm. Okay. I just figured okay, I thank would you. correct that. Thank you. Thanks for correcting that. It is important. And I do inte- I always try to get Sometimes correct, when there when you're listening I'm to audio listening.
1: that that you don't know exactly what they say. it's not like they spell out the name on you know, yeah, various no. shows and things. So. They
0: don't sometimes.
1: But if you're looking into
0: this further, it's... Sander Home. Sander home, I wrote out Sander Home. Okay. So, while this is happening, though, at the school with the tire, Jody has already gone home from her shower. So she must have parked in a different part of the parking lot. Jody goes home while Lori's dealing with this tire problem. Well... Um, she, and who's Lori again? Lori's the best friend. Okay. So Lori's dealing with this tire problem. Her tire has been slashed. So Lori, in the meantime, Jody goes home and, uh, she hops out of her car to grab the mail and is kidnapped. Like somebody is in right there and pulls her into her car.
1: Into their car? Into their,
0: into her car. Okay. They pull her into her car and insist that she drive. Um, and the captor is continually driving, just driving. And uh, so they're, he drives from Arkansas to Oklahoma. Um, she's begging to go home. She's like, I won't tell anyone. Uh, in the meantime, Lori is looking for Jody. She went to her house. Jody's not there. Lori goes to her mom's shop because she was going to stop there for coffee. She's not there. Her very pregnant other daughter, um, so it would be Jody's sister, Jennifer, tries to call her um, thinking, okay, because I'm super pregnant. You know what I mean? She's I'm nine months pregnant. She's gonna answer because she's, she's so like, excited. Yeah. She's gonna think baby's here. You know, doesn't work. She doesn't answer. Um. So finally, Lori tells Cindy about what's going on. Like they're being followed. They feel like they're kind of being followed. Who's Cindy? Uh, C- oh, uh, tells mom. Tells Jody's uh, mom. Cindy's Jody's mom. mom. Cindy's okay. Jody's mom. Okay. So Lori tells Jody's mom. Cindy's <laughs> Jody's mom. What's been going on? And, and that she's, they've been being followed and, and, you know, she's been, and that they've been feeling real jumpy and it's, and it's them and some other dancers and they're really freaked out. So mom finally calls the police. This is another case where they acted really quickly. Um, so they, they determined that her boyfriend is on break in Texas. He's from Texas and they're on winter break and he's in Texas. Um, but, uh, the, the note that, um, Lori, you know, said the last time she saw him, he seemed a little jealous. Um, like he said, made a comment like you're mine or something, <laughs> something like that. So of course, right away, they want to talk to him. Um, in the meantime, captor, the captor is taking, um, Jody to a wildlife area by knife. Um, and this is on the border of Oklahoma and Kansas, this wildlife area. He raped and beat her for hours. Then he makes her walk. Um, she's complying to save her life. Um, he strangles her. She'll regain consciousness, uh, strangles her again, consciousness. And he does this multiple time to the point. She's begging to die. Because she knows that is her only escape. It's today. Okay, at this point, after this happens, 24 hours has passed. Police are trying to locate her car.
1: Right.
0: Um, and they're driving in town in Arkansas, and they're driving the country roads. Um and they're wondering, in the meantime, if if she could have gone home to Texas with her, boy, her serious boyfriend, Owen. They're thinking, huh, you know, that would make sense if that's why she's missing. So they finally they find Owen, who agrees to come back to Arkansas. He just insists he doesn't know where she is. Finally, they verify his alibi with receipts and cell phone records. They really gave him the, th- the third degree, though. Uh, they really, um, really put it to him. But, yeah, he's, no, I don't know. And finally they figured out he really was in Texas where he said he was. Um, one thing to note that this, for a lot of these officers, this was their first abduction, their first case like this. Um so they wanted to get everything right, and they were—they jumped on it very quickly and, and uh, dotted their I's, crossed their T's. Um, but it didn't take long for them to realize, well, they can't find the vehicle anywhere. Um, she's probably been abducted with the car,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or that that's a possibility. Um, and finally, they interview Lori, who tells them about Justin Thurber, um, so, of course, they were going to bring him in for an interview. And so what was the deal with Justin Thurber again? She, she, did she know him? Well, they were acquaintances. So they were like loose acquaintances. Lori knew him because he was her brother's age and they had hung out, the brother and her. So he was just another, he was just an area guy who they all knew of him. But they didn't really, they didn't hang out with So he was, like, obsessive over college dancers. Oh, so it wasn't just her in particular, necessarily? No, it was a bunch of college dancers, like, any college dancer. He was just, that's why he slashed the one tired, but kidnapped the other one. Like, he was just after, they don't even know all the people he could have been following. Like, he was just... He was determined to do this. That's the thing is I think would it have been her or I think it was a crime of he saw an opportunity, you know, while he was stalking where he could do it. Mm -hmm. Like she was alone. Her car was right, you know, right there. He saw the opportunity. He took it. Um, and so it could have been any of them, I'm, I'm thinking. So that's why, because I'm thinking, when you first said
1: he pulled her into the car, I was like, well, did she know this guy, or was he wearing a... No,
0: I don't know that he was wearing a...
1: Disguise? I don't know. But at that point, I guess he doesn't maybe care I don't way. think he
0: cared. He was very, I think he was very determined, like, that's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. It's very sexually motivated. Like, I'm going to take a, a girl. I don't think it had to be her particularly. It had to be a, specifically a dancer. Like, any one of them That's would have done. Horrible. Yeah, it's awful. It is awful. Um, so they, they get Justin. Justin's like, uh, my alibi, I um, was fishing at a, I was at the local fishing hole or at a fishing lake. Um, I got stuck. My dad came to pick me up. Um, dad backs up his story. Dad says yes, I did go pick him up. He was he got stuck. I went and picked him up. Uh, in the meantime, they find they they found the they they found via the GPS that the car was at this wildlife area. They searched and they did not find her till day four. They finally find, found her body under a pile of brush. Um, and of course, they found blunt force trauma. If the two was strangled, raped, sodomized. Um, they carefully removed each piece of debris, uh, took swabs, and they were able to obtain a weak DNA sample. Um, they sent that to the GBI uh, specialty lab. Of course, Mom and Dad, Mom was describing it, you know, their are just devastated there's zombies they just couldn't believe at all what was happening it was just not uh, registering they were just completely discombobulated finally they found her car was submerged in the state lake that was nearby Uh, and they were able to pull a hair from the scene Uh, also they obtained camera footage of all of the parking lot cameras at that college and they found Justin Thurber following all of the dancers. Like,
1: what
0: a nut! all of them, like in the background, just, you know, like all of them. So it wasn't just them. It was all of them. Um, and in the end, the friends don't, the friends that he listed, that he mentioned that he was fishing with, do not back up his alibi. They actually said we wouldn't be, be caught dead being seen with him ever. So, okay, so, he was so yeah. So he was very creepy in that way. Like he all must have always been really creepy in that way. Well, I mean he had hair at the time, but yeah, yes. He's I just always, showed her a picture uh, of yes, him, yeah, which he, I'm she's seen a picture of him.
1: I'm sure, yeah, but yeah,
0: he had hair before. He's very, but he's distinctive looking too. That's the other thing. He's kind ugh. of a distinctive looking.
1: I was going to say, why don't you just try to date a dancer? Right. Like, legitimately, <laughs> but I don't know that anyone would date
0: that guy. No, no, no. Um, so they, you know, they find him doing all this stuff. So, of course, he lawyers up. He ultimately was um, found guilty, but never admitted guilt. Um, he was sentenced to death. Uh, Justin said he would um, confess if they took the death penalty off the table, family refused. They said no. I mean, well, what's it's Arkansas, too. Right, so right. They're no, more likely.
1: And I'm not saying like, obviously. I
0: won't give her opinion, I, but I.
1: I think when it's your own child, your views on that, it's possible that they could change.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. So absolutely. I have
1: no judgment on no, that at all. Absolutely
0: not. No, definitely. I can't judge that, but. They said no because what's the point in him confessing? We already know, you that, know he did it. that he did it and she's that it gone. Was horrible. Um and well, right, and that it was horrible. So what's the point in doing that? that what's sense. what's the point of the confession? Well,
1: and there's a torture aspect to this case. Right. To me, like when you're talking about like the death penalty versus life in prison. Right. When, you know, she was re- she's begging to him to kill her, that's right.
0: pretty you've you're she's pretty he's really hurting her i mean it's it's, so so much pain i mean i'm sure she wasn't just the worst kind of pain she wanted to be done with it um so the family of course they're working on stocking laws um and uh, they did, were able to pass Jody's law, which toughens the stalking laws. The dancers, you know, it sounds like, at least from what Lori said, the, that, you know, they <clears throat> might have come forward or gone to the police had they had any real protections or had they known that they had real protections. Well, part of the issue
1: with stalking, too, is a lot of times you hear You know, people call the police that, oh, I have a stalker. And let's be honest here, it's typically women, although that's not to say it can't be the other way around, because I absolutely can. Right. But in this case, you know, women call the police, and the police say, well, did they hurt you physically? Right. Did they touch you? Right. And it's like, so I have to get to the point, like... You need them to
0: do something to hurt me before you're going to help me? Right. And a lot of the, the local and state, federal laws are, or I'm not sure about federal, but local and state laws are that way. And so, to me, it needs to be something where, like, if
1: you can prove right that this person's repeatedly
0: stalking you, right. that should be enough. Right. Well, and it should be, but at the same time, it's like, it. that's a, a I hate to play devil's advocate, but what if it's just a coincidence that Bob is a, happens to be in a couple well, stores? Well, that's why I at. said that's repeatedly. It could, right. It has to be something you can prove. And then you know no
1: if you have a ring doorbell camera, bring that up again. And so if someone's right. You got repeatedly we, at, we have, at your door. You have cell phone. <laughs> I mean, you could probably fairly easily this day and prove age prove someone stalking you. This day and age, that's yes. the thing. At this time, at you that couldn't.
0: time, no, that's true. You couldn't, and but this made it easier so that you could report it, and they will follow up on it. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like the. It, You're just reporting it, and they're like, oh, well, they didn't do anything. Go away. You know?
1: Because if more dancers had reported it, they might have been able to narrow it down to him. Right. And then all of a sudden you have one
0: guy stalking multiple women. Women. That's more... Right. He's going to be they're going to do something about it. He might not get a bunch of time in jail, but he'll stop the act. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, maybe, maybe not. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like for the time being, <laughs> well, well, when he's in jail, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. he. I mean, or when he's in jail, but you know, it, he then knows that he's on someone's radar. Yeah. And maybe I should stop this, you know, like, or, or I don't know, maybe not. Maybe stalkers can't stop themselves. I don't know i'm not a stalker but if but that's anyways uh, what i did find out is in 2018 the lawyers argue that he was developmentally disabled and death penalty was postponed um so it's hard to say whether they're going to take that case up again and what's going to end up happening uh but for the and he was he was found to be developmentally disabled
1: see and then there
0: there's an kind of
1: a, and I don't know to what degree this man was developmentally disabled. He kind of appeared that way in his picture. Right. Even. He did. So does. then you then it comes to like did the system kind of fail too because developmentally disabled adults right. need to have some kind of follow through or some kind of right. you know you can't just leave a developmentally disabled mm-hmm. adult into society to fend for themselves. Right. So but they do. That's yes. the thing
0: is there's no real... I mean, that's why there are... Um, programs. Group homes and things like that. There are programs, but you have to know about them and you have to... Be, yeah,
1: navigating those, especially if you come from like a household where the parents are not,
0: you know... They're, they, they don't, don't have, have the resources or yeah. the wherewithal or they're working full-time and they'd have no time or they have, Well, really a lot of scenarios <laughs> in which it, you know, a lot of these people don't end up with the, the And care then you, it, you need. know,
1: now finding out he's developmentally disabled. I don't know about how I feel about the death penalty and that, and that I'm not saying the developmental disability excuses it, but it does provide some kind of, a. you know, It's hard to say. Did he know what he was doing was wrong? Or were his urges more than he could handle? Right. I mean... But then there's the whole torture
0: aspect, too. Right. That's the thing, is he kept doing... You know what I mean? He didn't stop and let her go at any point. But then the other thing, too, is that I know they were... There is some DNA evidence, and they were stopping for testing on that, too. So, and none of the articles said whether or not it was found to be his DNA or not, so I'd be interested to know if that does get tested, will it come back as his?
1: Hmm.
0: You know, I mean, I would imagine it will. Yeah. But who knows, you know? I mean, obviously, I think it was pretty obvious he didn't. Yeah. (laughs) You know, just based on all of the... uh, All of the circumstances and his stocking of all of every... You know, so many women, especially those two women.
1: And to be... Able to stalk multiple women and follow them. You can't be so severely... I mean, he's obviously not so developmentally disabled. He obviously right. can drive. Right. He's driving. So oh, yeah. he he's obviously driving. can do certain things functional enough to be able to even perform stalking. Right. Like, I know developmentally disabled people that would not be capable... In part because of their disability right. of stalking a stalking person, someone. and they wouldn't even have the intellectual capacity to want to stalk somebody. Right. So
0: like, like driving around stalking something That kind of gives you it. an
1: idea that he probably wasn't that severely disabled.
0: Right. He wasn't disabled to the point, maybe that they're saying. You know what I mean? And it's hard. Of course, we can't judge that because we're not involved. But could it be that they're, you know, of course they're going to try to save his life. Well, yeah. And that's something they've come up with. The death penalty, it takes, and rightfully so, it takes many, many, many years before people are actually Because you should be absolutely, like, 100% correct. There should be no even room for error no room for any type of error there should yeah. it should never happen that somebody is put innocently to death no i mean there's no excuse should never ever have there's no there's no excuse for like collateral damage no when it comes to that absolutely not yeah they should then put to death everyone who had a hand in putting them to death i mean if we're gonna right. go, go that way yeah eye for an eye you know yeah. what i mean like if we're gonna be eye for an eye the people who put those people to death should all be responsible then. And they should then, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like that, that seems to, that would be the only fair, (laughs) fair thing if we're going to be that, um, that way. But you know, everybody has their own opinions and I respect everybody's opinions. It's a tough debate. I think I'm against it in most situations. I I am as well, uh, I, I am as well. I'm not a pro gen a general pro death. But again, person. if somebody tortured and hurt my child
1: or, ki- God forbid, killed my child, I may feel differently. Right.
0: So. And that's the thing. And we don't live in a death penalty state, anyways. Right. But if we did. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm not a I'm not a pro deather or. You know, I just don't think it really solves anything. I don't, what does that solve?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't, part of the argument is how long, like the cost of jailing somebody and for that many years and the fact of like, if they're not, then they should at least be getting life without the possibility of parole. Right. Because.
0: Right. If they've done something. You that don't often. want a yeah. chance
1: that they could hurt another person. I think no. that's what it boils down to.
0: No. But, you know, they. I guess it's. I don't know. I think it would be. I think it would be awful to sit in jail for years and years and years and you're sitting in jail just for the rest of your life yeah I mean I don't know there's some people who probably would prefer yeah I just see I don't know it's a tough thing but the death penalty yeah it's a tough debate I don't know but on that note uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes on that note we so next we'll th- say
1: goodbye <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make that email address this week, so next week I should have something if you want to send in a case suggestion or any other feedback. Again, yeah, like we said understand. before, constructive criticisms. I can't talk, criticism is great. Yes, it is. But,
0: uh... Don't be a super mean, because we don't like mean people. I already said shit,
1: like, three times, so oh. you can say don't be an asshole. That's going to be my new model.
0: <laughs> motto. My new model. motto. Motto.
1: At the end of each episode, they they don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll We'll see (laughs) you. Good night, folks. (laughs) Next week, if we uh, can get ourselves together by then, (laughs) we'll see what
0: happens. All right. Take care. Life is a highway. Okay. Bye.